I thought it was riding. Welcome to our newest program of the Local Food Roundup. I'm Chris LaPaglia. And I'm Ann Bowes. We're here to bring you the ongoing series of news, views, and interviews about local food here on the Palouse. What's happening as the hot summer weather settles into the Palouse? There's a plethora of produce at the farmer's market. Cherries, apricots, plums, and peaches aren't far off. You can find tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, summer squash, basil, a whole lot of summer produce. I've got everything, frankly, ripening all at the same time. I've been harvesting garlic and onions and poppy seeds and cherries and all my greens are burned out. And It's just high season right now. Sounds good. And here's some interesting news from the Health Freedom of Idaho people. The North End Organic Nursery in Boise was selling horticultural vinegar and shared through their social media that it was a highly effective product to reduce and eliminate weeds. Well, the Idaho State Department of Agriculture then informed them that the sale of horticulture vinegar was banned. And they responded by posting it on social media. Within days, hundreds of customers and citizens expressed outrage. And as a result, changes have been made and the product will no longer be banned. It can now be sold in Idaho, albeit without a label that states it's effective against weeds. Well, hmm. That's farm freedom, the freedom to farm how you want. It seems like putting vinegar on your crop is pretty Should harmless. Be. <laughs> Should be legal, right? Yeah. And now it is. Well, food freedom's a big issue, which is why we went to the farmer's market not long ago and talked to people about it. Here's what we said. Last month, we brought up the subject of food freedom, and I want to continue on it today. It's a topic that's getting an awful lot of notice nationwide. And in the past few weeks, I went to the farmer's market, and I asked some of the people there what they thought it meant. I got a lot of different answers. So what do you think the word, the term food freedom means? I think that, to me, that means freedom to choose healthy food um, and to know what the ingredients is, to know what you're putting inside your body with all these uh, different things that you find in the grocery store, genetically modified stuff and the wheat glutens. Um, I think food freedom would be to be able to have food that isn't going to mess with your body. So, what's your, what are your thoughts on food freedom? Mm. Food freedom, I have to think about what that means to me. Um, I think everyone should have equal access to high quality food. Um, and I think that we need to provide programs for people that don't have that um, in a way that they can access the kind of food that is healthy to people that do have the funds to do that. So what, what is your definition of food freedom? Food freedom? Do you have a, a thought on it? Um, I mean, not one that's fully formed that I've thought a lot about, but I guess I would say that 
in a lot of senses, my mom does some organic farming and stuff. So I would consider food freedom to be the the ability to grow or produce your own food regardless of regardless of I guess seed rights and stuff. I hate I hate okay. the idea that a seed can be um, patented. Patented. That's yes. the word I was looking for. Yes. yes. Yeah. Patented yep. and then kept from the rest of that's a big the issue. people. Yeah. Well, what about food freedom in terms of you being a consumer and being able to buy directly from the farmer? Okay, yeah, I, I love that that's an ability. I love that that's part of our farmer's market, that, that farmers can sell uh, other places. They can sell to the co-op and then sell to me, but they'll also come here on the weekend and sell directly to me, and then I get to talk to the farmer, and I think it's a very important part of our sort of consumer ecosystem that we get to know where our food is coming from and and we get to be told how it's how it's grown how it's in the case of you know livestock how how the animals live and that kind of thing i think it's important we've become very disconnected from that what i want to know is what do you think food freedom is <laughs> food freedom ah uh, that's a good <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, do you have a definition for well, that, or uh, you, I mean, know, you want me to define that? Well, or? that's what I'm going for. Um, a lot of people don't really have a definition of it. Right. Um, I'll, let me ask you this question. Do you think you should be free to buy food directly from a local farmer? Oh, absolutely. I, okay. I, 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 think, uh, I think farmers markets in, are, are serving a vital function in that sense. It provides a direct connection for small, especially small producers to a market and directly to people and then people know exactly what the conditions, where their food's coming from. You know what food freedom is? How do you define it? How do I define food freedom? Food freedom is the right of consumers to purchase the food that they find economically and I'm not sure. It's a hard one to define. Yeah, the, yeah, the rights of freedom is to consumer to buy what you want and eat it and assume your own personal responsibility for those decisions. So, the people I spoke to didn't have the same idea of what food freedom is at all. And that said, I think that a lot of us haven't thought about it outside of how food relates to our own situation. And that varies from person to person quite a bit. So, to advance the discussion, let me define the term as it's being used in the public discussion. It is your right to buy, sell, grow, process, and eat the foods that you want. Okay, so now we've defined the term, here's the thing. We're not really free to buy, sell, grow, process, or eat the foods that we want. Over the last century, there have been a lot of rules and regulations put in place on food. So I followed up with questions that delve into the specifics of different kinds of food, produce, eggs and dairy, and meat. Let's start on produce. So how do you feel about having people restricted from, say, buying produce from, directly from farmers? Do you think you should be able to buy directly from a farmer? I do. I think the only, thing, the only person who should be able to restrict you from buying from the farmer is that farmer. Should you have any limitations on produce if you want to buy produce from a, a farmer? No, I don't think so. 
to buy whatever. I believe you should be able to buy whatever food you want to directly from a farmer. Okay, what about produce? Does that also apply to produce? That also applies to produce. So until recently, people have been free to buy and sell produce with very little restriction. But the Food Safety and Modernization Act, the FSMA, is changing that. I found it interesting that none of the people I spoke to wanted restrictions on produce. Other things, yes, but not produce. And a lot of small farmers feel that they're being regulated right out of business and that the requirements are costly and deterrent to starting up a business. Those requirements include such things as having to test your water, compost testing, keeping records on the compost when you started it all along, having to install separate hand washing stations, so for a small farmer, and replacement of compliant produce containers. There are a lot of new requirements in this. Now let's hear some comments on eggs and dairy. Do you think you should be able to buy eggs directly from a farmer yes. without without interference from government entities? I, I, raw milk directly from I farmer. believe you should be able to if buy whatever food you And you, uh, you know where it's coming from. I don't see why not. What about eggs? What about eggs? I also agree. My my aunt raises chickens and she sells eggs as well. So I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, there are standards that need to be kept, but I think nine times out of ten, the eggs aren't going to do any harm. In my experience, locally raised egg, like chickens with uh -huh. eggs haven't done any harm. Both eggs and dairy are regulated, but raw dairy may be the one you've heard more about. In Idaho, farmers are allowed to sell raw milk of only three cows or seven goats or sheep. And while it's wonderful that there is more freedom for this, it becomes obvious to the farmers involved that they don't have much room for growing a small business into an actual livelihood. Moscow, years ago, had a creamery located downtown. There were lots of small dairies in the area. We had a local food economy that provided lots of local eggs and lots of dairy to local citizens. Now, citizens get most of their eggs from the large commercial producers many miles away. The milk comes primarily from large grade A dairies raising Holsteins on high grain rations. Next, let's, let's ask about meat. Um, I went and asked about meat because it's been regulated since the beginning of the 20th century. And I wanted to hear how people felt about the meat that they could buy. Listen to what they had to say. What about meat? Um. You know, again, I think I think if you know the producer and you can buy it directly from them, I don't think there's any reason not to. Um, you know, so it's a matter I, of I that direct. I, I think yeah, it's that direct thing. I mean, there's, there's got to be something, some kind of uh, you know health, you know, code. I think on, on that. So if it's not raised in humane or healthy fashion, then uh, we need to be concerned about that, I suppose. Um, and maybe there ought to be some kind of inspections related to those those mm -hmm. issues. But uh, you know, one one of the documentaries I've seen uh, a guy producing uh, poultry, and he was uh, grab this. so and his uh, and he uh, had um, and he was butchering his chickens like outside, and you know he was being getting hassled from regulators for dirt. He's like, it's dirt. It's not you know. It's it's not you know there's it's more pathogens it's, coming you know, right. it's not filth it's just it's just the Dirt. environment yeah. it's not like I'm butchering it you know I think some of the mass uh, 
producers, you know, the conditions are probably far worse in terms of bacterial diseases than, than what this guy is experiencing in the local environment. And what about um, meat? You, meat. Should you be able to buy your meat directly from the local farmer? I, I do believe that you should be able to buy meat directly from a local farmer, okay. yes. And do you buy custom exempt? That is, do you ever buy half a beef or half a lamb or something? I haven't personally, but my, my stepfather's family has, um, has cows they raise up by Sandpoint, and he usually will buy half a baby beef or something from, from them, and it'll stock our freezer for the year. So I... We already do it, and I don't see anything <laughs> wrong with it. And I guess there's an advantage because it's my family, but I, I think that everybody should have that access. I'd rather, go, I'd rather go straight to a farmer to buy my meat products than go to a USDA facility who had gotten their animals out of a CAFO. Lots of food for thought there. Thanks to everyone who was willing to share their thoughts on food freedom with me. I'm here with Stephen Peterson at the University of Idaho. Stephen Peterson is an economics professor and was commissioned along with Stephen Poole by the City of Moscow to write an economic impact report on the Moscow farmers market. That report has a lot of interesting information and some recommendations that are very much worth hearing about. So, welcome well, Professor you. Peterson. Thank you. <laughs> um, as I said, there's a lot of interesting information in your report. The first thing that jumps out is that about half the money about, uh, which is just over, what, 570-something thousand dollars, is from plant agriculture or produce, I assume. Correct. Yes. Now, now, that's a large portion of it. That's correct. That seems to drive a lot of the market. It is. Okay. It is. I, I think that the plant agriculture, mostly vegetable and fruits, mm -hmm. uh, is the core of the market. It is the central driver for the market. It, uh, it is the cake, and then everything else is the icing. And there's a lot of icing, too. There is a lot of icing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, it, do you, and you might not know how to, um, what these statistics are, but we have an opportunity to buy locally, locally grown food here at the farmer's market, but an, an, an awful lot of it is still coming in from outside through the major grocery stores, do you have any sense as to how much that is? Um, how much of the food, you know, the produce here is local versus brought in? You're talking about, like, for the city of, I mean, for the, all the consumers in Moscow? Basically, yeah. Most of it is still brought in from the outside. The vast majority. The vast majority so. of it. So it is, uh, it is an emerging new market, mm -hmm. an exciting one but still a very small percent of the total amount of uh, vegetables and fruits that, uh, and other ag products that we consume. Okay. Um, there's other studies going on, a lot of, it, lot of local efforts to try to uh, scale up local production. And I think we're going to see more and more of that as uh, we go forward in the future. Yeah. Yeah, we hope. Yes. That's, and, and you've mentioned that as you look at your different things in the market, are in the farmers market. You look at where the money comes from, yes. and how much stays here, and how much yes. leaves here. Yes. Um, so, the more we can get um, staying local, and the more we can get exporting. And and you're the economist, so I don't understand all all the terminology, but we are um, 
basically an export economy, or we are trying to be more of an export economy? Well, we, um, you're talking about in general, mm -hmm. general business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we export, our primary export here is education, right? Mm -hmm. In the Palouse, in, the, in its broadest sense, is educated uh, um, professionals that uh, leave here. We, we produce research, right? Uh, we produce... Uh, outside the university setting, we produce, uh, you know, ag products. We have a, a vibrant wood products manufacturing mm -hmm. here. Of course, uh, we've got high technology manufacturing, Schweitzer Engineering over mm -hmm. at uh, Pullman. Um, down in the Lewis Clark Valley, which is part of a larger regional economy, we have a emerging ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I it's, heard that. It's very big. It's. Uh, Probably ammunition manufacturing is now vying for second or third place in terms of uh, in terms of private, you know, non-public uh, uh, industries in the state. So it's a really interesting mix overall. So are we becoming more diversified? Uh, I think we've always had a pretty diversified economy. I mean, if you take a look at the four-county region and look at the the rich mix of of in industry here and services. It's actually been pretty diversified overall and, um, when you look at it in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. Up here in the Palouse, we're highly concentrated in higher education. Of course, yes. Yeah. Um, Lewis-Clark Valley, it's wood products, ammunition, manufacturing, and uh, they, they have a service and uh, retail trade hub down there. Mm -hmm. And then both Moscow and Pullman are retail trade hubs in their own right. So, and, and you've gone over the the market and in the market is a small part so far yeah but you've noted that over time it's becoming more sustainable in that it's less um, I can't remember the wording exactly but it's starting to almost pay for itself it, it well it depends on how you measure that if you look at if you look at the um, just the simple fiscal budget, mm -hmm. right, of actual expenditures related to the market, I think it's going to hit its break-even point. It's not this year, it'll hit it next year. Okay, so it's close to being completely self-sustaining in, in the narrow fiscal sense of the word uh, self-sustaining. Now, there's a debate if you've got an extra police officer that comes down to do something, whether or not you should include that or not. Mm -hmm. uh, the There's a various arguments along that line that that person's going to be hired anyway, right? So there's no real cost involved. So we're not including those kinds of secondary costs, but in the direct cost, it's almost self-sustaining. Now, if we include the economic impacts of the market, it's in the black. So okay. the tax revenues generated by the economic impacts of the, of the market is in the black. And I estimated... The total amount of state and local taxes generated by the market in the low end was just under 300000 and at the high end of the range was just over 400000 So We're moving in very much the right direction. We are. We are. That uh, the uh, Moscow's Farmers Market is a, you know, it's a keystone event of the community. It's become mm -hmm. uh, an important part of the glue that holds the whole community together. Um, and it, it highlights the strengths of Moscow, of both living here, shopping here, and it helps preserve the integrity of downtown Moscow, which in uh, the, the modern retail trade age is very difficult to do. <laughs> it, it is. Yes. Right, as it, we lose so many of the malls and so much of the retail brick exactly. and mortar. Exactly. I mean, if you look at the forecast for the malls across the country, uh, it's, it's really scary. 
You mm -hmm. know, and if you look at the changes taking place in the the Palouse Empire Mall, uh, it's equally scary. You mm -hmm. know, as to what's what's going to happen there. But you go downtown Moscow, and it's hard to find any place that's vacant. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. What I found as you were talking about in in your report, um, the multiplier effect. Yes. And there seems to be, and I don't know if I'm um, mixing apples and oranges here, but we've got, there's kind of a growth effect where we get startups such as Brush Creek Nurse, or um, Creamery, yeah. and I think Patty's uh, Restaurant yes. as well. Um, they've started in the farmer's market. The, the farmer's market is now an incubator for small business startups. Ah, that's right. It, it is. It is just wonderful. Um, and we've now had, uh, I think, probably 25 firms spin off out of the market. Into 25? It, yeah. Y again, firms come and go all the time, but, you know, you, you're, you're into the two dozen range now of individual firms that have started in the market and spun off. I and, didn't know. Yeah, and some of the, uh, the economic impacts here reflect uh, the impacts of those startup firms. You know, you know Patty's Kitchen... Uh, the tap uh, has a has a tie to the market. Um, Humble Burgers. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. <clears throat> okay, and I mentioned you mentioned breweries. Yes. That's... Yeah, we have an emerging wine and uh, beer craft. Uh, 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 what region or uh, industry uh, in Moscow? Which um, you know, Hungadunga is one of the newer ones. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, uh, really exciting prospects for uh, the wine and beer, uh, which further business. diversifies the community. Although I suppose that you you go into, those are supportive um, businesses. We still have the major um, uh, income of money into the areas, the educational and yes. the agriculture. Yes. And the three universities yeah. going down to Yeah. Hurston. You have to be careful when you start talking economic impacts because you've got to account for the substitution effects, right? If somebody doesn't buy a beer at Hungadunga, just as an example, they might they might buy it at Safeway, right? I mean, so you have to account for the, the substitution effect. I did that in this study, by the way. Okay. So um, the most of the surveys we have show that about a third of the downtown business uh, is from out of out of region customers, many of them from the the Pullman region, and then I estimated that another fifteen percent um, was from if we didn't have such a vibrant downtown that a lot of Moscow residents would leave and go elsewhere to do their shopping. So I counted a little bit of import substitution in that. And it brings so people here to live. Yes, and then there's the secondary effects we never really measured, and that was the fact that. You know, in terms of employers, really it is the, the, the if, I've never formally tallied this, but I would estimate that probably the second biggest economic impact to the community outside the University of Idaho is probably the people who work elsewhere outside the county and live here. Uh, you mentioned, yeah, I remember reading that. We are, we are the home of the Palouse, and uh, if you look at the commuting patterns, I think that there's something like 2,400 people that commute out of here every day. That uh, many? Yes. 
to most of them to Pullman, but many of them to Lewiston and some of the surrounding regions, and, and then and then come back. So we are we are the home of the Palouse, and that's a very important source of our economy here. So, you warned that you felt that this is a very important um, aspect of our economy. That and you gave a warning, and you're. The last part of that report, you cited the evidence of um, the Lionel Hampton Jazz yeah. Festival. Yeah. Can you go into that a little? Yeah. Although they had a they had a great year this year. They, they, great. Yeah. They are uh, the, the the Lionel Hampton uh, Music Festival maybe in a revival. I'm ho I'm hoping. Right. It looked like they had a great year this year, but if you look at his historic peak. Uh, nearly 20,000 high school students came here at its peak, you know, something like 20 years ago. Uh -huh. And uh, quite frankly, it, there was a uh, catastrophic decline in the number of, uh, of high schools visiting and the number of uh, other activities associated with the Lionel Hampton. Like I said, they, they had a wonderful year this last year. It looks like they're in a revival form. But the, my observation when I did a study for the Lionel Hampton, you know, probably 15 years ago, was that um, it looked like it was suffering from benign neglect. Right. And okay. that was my concern. That was, a, that was an observation I made 15 years ago when we did an economic impact assessment of it. And my concern it mirrored, mirrored that warning in the, in the farmer's market that one of the reasons why it is so successful is because it has really strong both community support and it has strong support at the city. And both those ingredients are absolutely necessary for the market to continue. I see your point. So as far as getting, we're making a lot of progress in the farmer's market. It's becoming more sustainable. On, I don't know if that's the word to use, but yeah. more successful. Yeah. Um, but the agricultural products are a huge part of that. And so that's becoming a hub for local food. If we could add other things, we're adding the wine and the beer products. Mm -hmm. We've got the produce. Um, we have a, only 3% that's meat. Um, and if we could add that, and that's yeah. almost out of our hands yeah. because there's such strict limitations. Yeah. But, for example, if the Prime Act went through and people could sell um, what is now custom-exempt meat, mm -hmm. which is... Um, what people do when they want a half of a beef, mm -hmm. but that's not allowed for resale at this point. Yeah. That might kickstart another whole part of the farmer's market. Yeah. Are, there, are there other things that we could I, I push think, to? I think, uh, you know, if you look at the, uh, at the market region, you know, it, it is a, you know, a a circle well outside of the Moscow community. A lot of mm -hmm. our produce comes from central Washington, mm -hmm. um, and that's defined as local out of necessity. One thing we could do is ramp up actual local vegetable, fruit, and uh, and meat production here uh, in 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 this uh, you know in Latah County, for example. Right. And uh, there there are efforts underway to do that, but I think there's an unfulfilled market for fresh fruits and vegetables in Moscow and the local local products in general and I think that um, you know you know energizing those markets and bringing them to market is really important and there's you've named several there um, is, is there something untapped that we're not looking at or 
Um, I think the interest in the in 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 local production has been growing over the years, um, and the the interest in in uh, people establishing small farms, you know, to produce local products here is increasing as well. Uh, the hope is is that it's going to hit a critical mass here pretty soon, mm -hmm. and uh, then we'll we'll see some scaling up. There's a lot of people working on the Palouse to scale up local production, and uh, I'm, my my theory is we're going to hit a we're going to hit a you know a, a takeoff point in which uh, the uh, the amount of local production will will increase will increase substantially. It would be nice to see. Yeah, and one. One important aspect of this is consumer taste. If this is driven on the demand side and more people expressly are shopping for local local foods, mm -hmm. you know, the the supply side will figure itself out. Yep. So one of one of the things I I kind of focused on is, you know, taking a close look at consumer attitudes and driving this on the demand side. You know, one 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 example of that is the if you look at the beer industry in the United States, you know, 30 years ago it was mostly large, relatively large producers of beer, right? That's true. Um, yes. They were either regional producers or national producers, right? And then consumer taste changed. And yes. now, yes. you know, many, most places there's breweries everywhere, mm -hmm. little small breweries, all driven by the demand side, by a change That's in right. the taste and preference. And wineries. And wineries, the same thing with wineries. And I think we could see that with local foods. So just the change in, in consumer preferences and then desire and the supply side, well, entrepreneurs will create that supply on the supply side. <clears throat> well, that's a, a nice thought, and uh, <laughs> we'll end it here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Well, that's it for this show. And as always, the views presented in this program do not necessarily represent the views of KRFP, its board staff, or members. And remember that local food may not be free, but... but it sure can set you free. Thanks for listening.